of his hard work, perseverance, and accomplishment. And we think it's going to be in the, in the lobby, and it's going to be a come and go from 2 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. So everyone come by and shake Brother Keith's hands and uh, pat him on the back. Uh, we'll be finger foods, and uh, Janice is no presence. Uh, barn, barn quilt painting class, Wednesday the 15th, 6 p.m. Be here at Wright Hall, cost of $45. Sign-up sheets available up front or contact Janice Brown for more information. Barn quilts are simply geometric shapes, quilt blocks from quilting patterns that are painted on wood and hung on buildings. Although most are traditionally displaced on barn, displayed on barns, they can be and are hung on various buildings, including homes, cabins, yards, barns, yard barns, and even stores. And I must confess, on Highway 60 going across the bottom of Missouri back about a year ago, I passed an old barn on the side of the road, and there's this uh, beautiful piece of artwork hanging on it, and I didn't know what it was. And I thought, that's really a nice piece of art. I wonder why they hung it on that old barn. So, and now, now I know what it is. More announcements, choir practice and rehearsal, Tuesday, June the 7th, 6.30. Jubilee meal and classes here at First Church on Wednesdays at 8th at 5.30. And Saturday, June 11th at 6.30, the Darrell Mosley concert. And I would like to ask Brother Keith to elaborate on elaborate on the on the concert. And Sunday, June the 12th, the master celebration, of course, for Brother Keith. Any other announcements? Let us worship. Sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I know that it's the presence of the Lord. There are sweet and
Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we've come before you this day, we come before you as a people who need you desperately. A people here on this day of Pentecost need to be refilled, need to be filled to overflowing. Lord, in so many of our lives, it's as though we leak. We are filled with the power of God, and yet somehow it just dissipates and goes as a vapor into the air. And we find ourselves sitting on the premises instead of standing on the promises. So on this day of Pentecost, fill us, renew us, refresh us, enable us, encourage us, and cause us to go out into the world and tell the world about you. We ask, Lord, these things in your name and for our sake. And the people say, amen, amen. Would you join with me as we say our affirmation of faith, which is the Apostles' Creed. You'll find it on page 881 or on your screen. As we begin, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he arose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated? Marvin asked that I uh, give a little bit more information about the Daryl Mosley concert. Daryl Mosley was a former was the former lead singer and a guitarist for a group called the Farmhands that I became familiar with about three now four years ago. Uh, they did actually two uh, appearances at my former appointment. Uh, the thing about Daryl Mosley is you don't feel like it's the sage or the star on the stage and you sitting. It's like having him in your living room. Uh, he is a wonderful performer, wonderful songwriter. He actually is from Waverly, Tennessee. So uh, just right down the road next door, as we would say. Uh, he, his songs are about everyday life, not things that don't make any sense that you don't understand. It's about life as we live it, how God works in our lives. And I think you would really enjoy it. I hope you'll come out and support this. The, the fear always is that when we have something like this, that it will land on a date that there's a thousand other things going and there'll be Janice and I and three other people here. And if that's it, so be it. That's who God ordains to be here. But I hope that we'll have a crowd. Uh, we've done a mail out to all the local churches, uh, email blasts to all the pastors in the, Memf in the Memphis Annual Conference area, uh, newspaper. So we'll find out how the advertising works and it does. And this is a great time to just say to your next door neighbor, hey, I've been wanting you to come see my church. Here's a great time for you to come, maybe not hear a sermon, but hear a sermon in a different format. And it's just a, a non-threatening, uh, painless way to invite friends and family to come and be a part. So I hope you'll come out and be a part of that at that time. So, Layla. Good morning. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we ask that you'll come into this building today and let your presence be upon us. We ask that you open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts so we can see, hear, and know what you want us to know. And just be with us, God, and bless us as we walk throughout this week. And in your name we pray. 
Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. There go the ships, and leaveth them whom ye formed to play in it. When you give to them, they gather it. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to the Lord, in whom I rejoice. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I ask that you would think of those who are standing in need of prayer. Uh, the prayer list will be here in just a moment. I, I'm sure of that. <laughs> Are there those that you would add to the list that have not been added to the list yet? Or the ones that you would, excuse me? The John Dunn family. Uh, Dr. Orman Campbell, I, we believe, is going to be going to rehab uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, we've got to kind of ascertain exactly what is going on there and make sure. But that's the word that I was given. Are there any others that you would lift up? Sonny Beasley. Okay, Sonny Beasley. Are there any others? Safe travels to camp for Layla. Yes, safe travels to camp for Layla. And on our list, we have Ashley Pugh, Mandy Newman, Paul Schilling, Wayne and Jackie Lott, Joan Rhodes, Mr. Ed Marsh, who's able to be with us today, an unspoken request, and Gary Carroll, who's having knee surgery on Thursday. Are there any others? I'm about to the point that I think First Baptist should get a discount on knee surgeries. It seems like we've had several <laughs> lately. Are there any others you would have us list or add? Okay, then would you pray with me? Lord, again, we come to you and it's the day of Pentecost. And sometimes we wonder, is that just a date on the calendar? Is that just something that we kind of acknowledge? Or is it something we still experience? Do we experience the work of sanctification? Is the Holy Spirit working in us to make us more and more like you? Are we turning our eyes upon Jesus so that we can look full in his face and let the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace? There are so many names that have been listed, a multitude of others that we could list that we have not spoken out loud. We ask that in every circumstance, in every situation, you would be with them. I think back the years of my ministry. I think back starting as a youth minister so many, many years ago. 
And that was back when I thought I knew everything. And then I got older and I realized I knew absolutely nothing at all apart from you and you crucified. So, Lord, we ask that we would realize without you, we are nothing. Without you, there is nothing that we can do, nothing we can accomplish without your power and your strength. You are with us always yesterday, tomorrow, and, of course, today. And so in every circumstance and every situation, again, we ask that you be at work. And now, Lord, we want to pray together corporately as a family of God, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth. forever. Amen. Amen. Would our ushers come forward at this time? Would you pray with me? Lord, we come at a time in our service to give back to you those things that you've made us stewards of, because that is who we are. We are simply stewards of the blessings that you have given us. And so out of our stewardship, we give back to you our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings as cheerful givers who want to help be a part of the kingdom of God. Bless it, watch over us, and multiply. We ask it in your name. Amen. stands we sing God's song.
ask you to do something. Doesn't take a lot of energy. I just want you to look around for just a moment. Just take a second, look around, and here's what I want you to look for. I want you to look for someone who's not here. Now, I'm asking you to look for something that's not visible, right? But that's okay. I want you to look and you think, well, such and such sits there, and so and so sits there, and also sits there, and there. And here's what I want you to do after you've done that. I want you to write that name down, inscribe it on your heart, or write it on a piece of paper, go home, drop them a note, pick up the phone, go and see them in person. It's a great excuse to get out and meet your neighbors or see your neighbors or see someone you've not seen in a while. Because the only way that we will grow, the only way we will grow, and I have this on the greatest of authority, is when we go out into the world and tell the world about him. We have to get the family of God together, back together again. And then we have to invite those who are not a part of the family of God, or at least not a part of the family of God, here. So I encourage you to do that. I challenge you to do that. I hope, uh, God willing, next week I will finally have the Stephen ministry formed, uh, filled out, and ready to go. Uh, Lee Krause has uh, consented. I would say volunteer, but I think I twisted her arm just a little bit. But consented to, it. she's going to head that up, and to give you a real quick synopsis of the Stephen ministry. There will be a person with approximately six to eight people underneath them. Now, if one of those six to eight people is not there next Sunday, or when we kick it off, which will actually be two Sundays from today, then your job as that group leader is to call them, to figure out why they're not here. And then, if there's a need, a, a particular need that you can identify, let me know that so I, in turn, can contact and call and visit. So hopefully, as I said, we'll kick that off two weeks from this Sunday. And I hope you will participate, take part. Of course, my biggest fear is I will leave someone off the list. So please, when I do present that to you, uh, Lee and I will go over it and make sure that as far as we know, everyone is there. But if you see someone's name that needs to be there, we'll get that fixed and those people plugged in. Our scripture this morning is Matthew 6, verse 25 through 34. Again, I want to say welcome to worship for the people at First United Methodist Church in Henderson, Tennessee, and to those who are listening by radio. We are in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. And you're going to say to yourself, today is the day of Pentecost, as I've already mentioned. And then you're going to say to yourself, but he's not preaching on Pentecost. No, for I think the first time in 22 years of ministry, I am not preaching about Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. Why? Because God and I got into a discussion about it, and he won. He said, that's not what I want you to talk about. I want you to talk about Pentecost, but I want you to preach on something else. And maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's somebody here who desperately needs to hear what I'm going to say. Not because it's going to be so learned and erudite. Not because it's going to be full of great big words that I can define for you, or the Greek that I can tell you what it means but because somebody may be here who needs to hear what we're going to talk about this morning. Matthew 6, verse 25 through 34. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than blood and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. 
for they neither sow nor weep nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father reads, uh, feeds them. I can't say that word today. Feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his statue? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all of these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Worry. That's what we're talking about this morning. Maybe I'm the only one in the whole room that ever worries about anything. Last week we talked about bitterness. We talked about how we hold on to grudges and we, we cling to them. We pull them to us. We embrace grudges. We lay awake at night. Well, there's something else that causes us to lay awake at night, and, and that's worry. So one of the God questions we're addressing is how do I stop, or what do I do, or how do I deal with worrying? So today, we're going to look forward to the future, because many times what we're worrying about is not what's happening right now as much as what could happen tomorrow. The title of the sermon, again, is how do I keep from worrying, or how do I stop worrying? So what about the future makes us worry? What about the future keeps us up at night? I talked to, kind of did an informal poll several years ago about the same subject, and I asked some friends, what keeps you up at night? One of my friends who's kind of a smart aleck said, spicy foods. I said, okay, I, I, I can buy that, but that's not what I'm talking about. What kind of thing, what kind of worry keeps you up at night? And I found out that some categories, I could put them in categories and columns, begin to come about. I could make a spreadsheet showing the things that people worry about. They're worried about personal things. Where will I live? What's going to happen with my job? Dealing with health struggles. Trying to overcome our temptation to sin. They were worried about family. They were worried about how to figure out a way to spend time together as the kids move away. What kind of legacy Will I leave to my kids? They were worried about politics. Who's going to be in charge of the nation? Is anybody in charge of the nation? Or are we just kind of wandering along to and fro? Who's going to be in charge of the world, especially in the events that are happening in the Ukraine? Is Russia going to attack Poland? Is the war going to, war going to expand? I worry about whether or not the world will find itself in a world war. And so I worry, and you worry. They were worried about religion. They were worried about the lack of unity in the church, not particularly this church, but the church universal. They were worried about how the church universal was going to come from this back to this and to embrace each other once and forever. They were worried about the growing divide in the Methodist church and whether or not, whether or not I'm going to be ready when Christ comes again. And those are all legitimate things to contemplate. But there seems to be a common thread in all of these. And that's simply this. 
we like to think that we are in control of our future. Think about that for just a moment. Don't you like feeling like you're the captain of your ship, the author of your fate, that you've taken life by the horns and you've got it lined out and ready to go? We like to think that we're in control of what we come into contact with. Our anxiety tends to kick in when we find out we're not fully in control. We try to create methods of control that may or may not work to convince ourselves that we're in charge of our own destiny. We're the captain of our own faith. We can do whatever we want to do and we control what happens and we know that's not true. And so when we finally admit it's not true, we begin to worry. Now, people take different approaches to life. Some people have what I call a clipboard approach to life. What does that mean? Well, I married one, but I can explain it very well. I took my wife, I love her, I have loved her since the day that I laid eyes on her, but she is very much a clipboard kind of person. This is A, this is B, this is C, this is D. Do not get those letters confused. Keep them in the right order. And if worse comes to worse, she'll snap her clipboard at me, or sometimes she just beats me in the back of the head with it. It's a clipboard, not really, I, I promise. It's a clipboard approach by life. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, seriously, what is a clipboard approach to life? It quite simply means you're one of these people who likes everything laid out. Now, on the other hand, I'm better than I used to be, but on the other hand, I was the exact opposite of a clipboard person. I couldn't even find my clipboard. I, I couldn't figure out where I'd put it, and I wouldn't know what to put on my clipboard if I had one. I just kind of liked life. I was just happy to be there. I just loved life. Oh, look, stars. Oh, look, the sun is shining. Oh, look at the bird. Or if you saw the movie Up, I was much like the dog in the movie Up. Squirrel. My attention span was not always the best. So I didn't have a clipboard approach to life. I had an approach to life as what happens, happens. I'll deal with it and we'll go on. But a clipboard person does things like this. The first page of your clipboard, let's say you're going on a camping trip. The first page of your clipboard is everything you need in that camper, alphabetically, from largest to smallest, arranged. You need food, you need water, you need things to make tea with. Heaven knows that you need coffee. The list goes on and on. The second page, for instance, might be a checklist of all the clothes that you need to wear. That you're going to go to, oh, I don't know, Las Vegas, and it's going to be much warmer out there than it is here. So you need a certain kind of clothes. The third page of the clipboard might be what kind of food you need to pack, what kind of things you need to carry with you so you can feed yourself on this two-week camping trip you're taking. The next pages include a schedule. You have to be up at 6 o'clock, and at 7, you pull out of the driveway. Heaven forbid that we look at our watch and you go, oh my goodness, it's six minutes after seven. I'm six minutes behind. We've got to make up some time. Because you had to leave at seven, get up at six, leave at seven, in order to get to the campground, get everything unpacked, and be ready to go. Every day is fully spelled out. And don't you dare try to change anything on that clipboard. Now, that's okay. That's a way of life that's a little foreign to me, at least until I got married. Now I understand it better. One other answer that caught my eye is I was speaking to someone I knew a while back. They told us that they don't worry. 
because worry, or told me that they don't worry, because worry is a sin. But they do have a couple of legitimate concerns, as they put it, which I think is kind of the same thing. It's just like us when we try to justify sin. We relabel sin, and we explain it or try to explain it away that it's okay. We really are just holding on to sin rather than turning things over to God. Jesus talks about it on the Sermon on the Mount. On the Sermon on the Mount in the text we read earlier, he doesn't hold back. He's pretty blunt to the point. So Matthew 6.25 says, Do not be anxious about the things you consume or the clothing you wear. Now what does that mean? We're not supposed to worry about food. We're not supposed to worry about having clothes. Why would Jesus get that micro-focused on something that we're not supposed to worry about? Well, it's this. We tend to major in life on the minors. That's an old cliche that you've heard. We tend to major on the minors. We tend to forget that the devil is actually in the details. And then Jesus gives us a couple of examples from nature. In Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor root nor gather into barns. They don't spend long days at work, and yet what does God do for them? He feeds them. Matthew 6, 28, 29, look at the lilies of the field. What does God do for the lilies of the field? They don't toil, they don't spin, they don't work. And even though they do none of these things, King Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as well as they are. And so these things are temporary things. So if God says he deals and keeps an eye on and guides and watches after temporary things, how much more important to God is your eternal soul? Because our soul is not temporary. Our soul is eternal. So if God is concerned about the lilies of the field, the birds of the air, is he not going to be much more, much more concerned about my eternal soul? You see, Jesus continues to point out some other things. And, you know, the Mayo Clinic, according to the Mayo Clinic, it was a survey done several years ago that said worry literally takes minutes, hours, days off of our lives. That the more you worry, the more you stress, the higher your blood pressure gets, the more medical problems you have, and before long, you find yourself going downhill. Your life is not doing well. Your health is not doing well. And so Jesus points these things out to us. And when he points these things out to us, he makes it very simple. Don't be anxious. In other words, don't worry. Do you remember the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? That's kind of what Jesus is saying. Don't worry, allow me to live inside you in the Holy Spirit and be happy. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? If we're consumed by these kind of questions, our focus is on the wrong place. There was a man, an evangelist, a pastor by the name of George Mueller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R, if you want to look that up at some point. George Mueller was an English-British evangelist in the 1800s. And in the 1800s, he was attending Bible college. And in Bible college, he was about halfway through, and I understand how he feels, because when I was halfway through seminary, I felt like it's never going to be over. I'm never going to get it finished. Thanks be to God, it finally did. But George Mueller was halfway through Bible college, an undergraduate degree. His father was supporting him, paying for his tuition, paying for his room and board. So he decided that he would go with some friends. He was a religious person but not a devoted person. Does that make any sense? He was caught up in reckless living. 
I mean, Dad was paying for everything. And so he was just kind of enjoying life, floating through life. And then one day, some friends of his invited him to come to an off-campus Bible study. And there he fell in with people who were actually living out their faith, who were living in such a way that they showed their love and their commitment to Christ by helping those around them. And so George Mueller decided he would become a missionary. His father was ecstatic. No, his father told him he was crazy, that I'm not paying, spending all of this money for you to get a degree so that you can go waste it by being a missionary. Well, that's not quite how George Mueller had thought things would go. His father cut him off. He found himself halfway through Bible college, no money, no way to pay room and board, couldn't even buy food. The next day, after praying the night before, the next day, an hour after he started looking, he was offered a job that would pay all of his tuition, all of his room and board, and give him enough free time to spend more time in his evangelism. And so that worked out. Later on, after he finished Bible college, George Mueller felt the call to start an orphanage. Now, in the 1800s, the Industrial Revolution, of course, had happened, and there were a lot of, they were called urchins. If you remember the uh, musical Oliver, well, they were urchins. They were basically orphans. They had no place to live, no place to lay their head. They survived by sometimes stealing, by being pickpockets. Sometimes they survived by doing jobs at, you know, an hour here and an hour there. Sometimes they literally just stole from the cart of bread and sweets and meats. They were out on the sidewalks. And so having formed this orphanage, it had grown to the point that he tells in his autobiography that he had 300 inhabitants, 300 people who drilled there. Because his orphanage was not just a school, it was literally a place where these children, boys, urchins, could live and study and find a trade so that they could go out into the world as a productive citizen. 300 people. He got up one morning, the cook came to him and said, we have literally nothing to eat. And George Mueller said, you must have something and he said, the cook said, no, we have absolutely nothing. About that time, he heard a knock on the door. So he went to the door, and there was the local village bread maker, and he was burdened down with trays of bread, and he had two apprentices with him, and they were both burdened down with trays of bread. And George Mueller looked at him and said, we have no money. I, I don't understand. And the bread maker said, last night at about midnight, I was awakened by what I do not know. But I know that this voice told me to get up to make bread for the orphanage. So what did I do? I got up. I made bread for the orphanage. And George Mueller, of course, fell to his knees thanking God and thanking the bread maker for following after the voice of God. But what good is bread with nothing to drink, right? I mean, who wants to eat dry bread by, the, by itself? Well, just a little bit later, again, there was a knock at the door, and a person in the uniform of a milkman was standing there. George Mueller said, can I help you? The milkman said, my truck has broken down, and by the time I can find a mechanic, get them here from the village, figure out what's wrong, go back to the village, hopefully find a part, come back, the milk will have spoiled in the heat of the day. Could I, by any chance, give you this milk? And George Mueller, of course, went, no, no, it's okay. Of course he said, yes, thanks be to God. That's called trusting God. 
Now, you may be thinking, I can pray to God and I can trust in God, but I don't remember ever a time in my life where he showed up with a quarter pounder with cheese and a Diet Coke because I'd prayed and we laugh. But I want you to think about those times when God has provided. Those times when sometimes we might not have realized or acknowledged what was going on. I want you to understand that God always provides. God provides in an amazing way. Time after time, I've seen God answer prayers in my life. And I'm not patting myself on the back because Lord knows I don't deserve him answering my prayers any more than anyone else does. But I know that God answers prayer. I can testify to that. And speaking of that, one of the things, this is an aside, this is one of those squirrel moments. One of the things I want to start within the next two weeks, and it will be very simple if I can get some volunteers, I want to start a time of testimony. And you're thinking, testimony, test, that, vague, that word sounds vaguely familiar, testimony, testimony. I want to go to some people and say, would you be willing to share on any given Sunday, three minutes, to tell us what God has done for you in your life. Nothing major, nothing wonderful, doesn't have to be full of big words. You don't have to know the Greek languages and the root of all of our English words. All I'm asking is that you pray about, would God have me stand up and in front of my brothers and sisters in Christ, share what God's done for me. Share what God is doing in your life. I really, truly believe we need to see the work of God in the lives of people around us before we can really, truly understand what God wants us to do. So here's my question. We've seen God answer prayer in amazing ways. Why do we let ourselves get so worried about life? His eyes on the sparrow. I know he's watching me. Instead of being anxious, we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of our focus needs to be on finding the kingdom of God. We need to pursue after God. We need to run the race that is set before us and trust in those things that will be taken care of by God. So how do we replace anxiety and worry with a focus on the kingdom of God? We need to give it to God, leave it to God, and watch for God. Now, what do I mean by that? When we give it to God... I'm guilty of this. I've told you this before. I come to the altar. I say, God, there's this problem in my life. I've got an unspoken request. You know my heart. You know what it is. And I give it to God. And then when I think God is not looking, what I do is reach down to the altar, stick it back in my pocket, and carry it home because I want to help God fix it. We need to give it to God. We need to leave it with God. And we need to trust God. We need to do those things as we watch for what God's going to do in our lives. We need to pray. We need to make our needs known to God, the desires of our hearts. We need to know that God is aware because we have told him in prayer and supplication. These prayers come with supplication. Let God know what you need. Now, there's a little secret I'll share with you. God already knows. You're not surprising him. God's not going to go, oh, my. I didn't know Keith needed that. God already knows these things. But there is something that is right and sweet and fitting when we share with God what we need and what's going on in our lives. There were times as a parent 
and still as a parent, that I wait for my children or my grandchildren to express a need. Now, what do I mean by that? I know that my grandchild needs something, but I want to wait until they express that need to me before I answer that need, because I want them to learn to ask. Now, what does that got to do with prayer? God wants you to ask. God wants you to fall on your knees and say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Sinners saved by the grace of God. And I want you, God is speaking to us and says, I want you to enunciate, to tell us, to tell me what you need. And when that happens, then we take care of that need. We also need to include thanksgiving when we pray. It takes away the worry. When we express thanksgiving to God, worry gets pushed out the door. We need to be mindful of the times God's already answered our prayers. And we're going to find out about that when people start giving testimony. We're going to find out when God has answered prayers. But I promise you, I would stand upon this. Every one of you has at least one story of a time where the only thing you could explain it by was that God was at work in your life. So just be thinking about, be praying about it. We need to be mindful of those times God has answered our prayers, and we need to cast, give our cares to him. There are over 7 billion people on this planet. That's a whole lot. I don't do math, but I know it's a bunch. It's more than 100, much greater than 100. 7 billion, I'm, of course I'm kidding just a little bit, but I don't do math. There are 7 billion, roughly, people on the earth. So out of the 7 billion, is God paying attention to me? I mean, why would he? I'm not special. Why in the world would God pay, pay any attention, spend any time worrying or taking care of me? It's because God pays attention to each one of us because simply he cares. It's a good, good way to approach evangelism by thinking of this. You've all heard this cliche, but it's still true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Now, what do I mean by that? Someone comes to me and wanting to show off that hard-fought, well-bought, expensive seminary education, they express a need or desire to me, and I immediately begin to spit out Bible verses like an ATM machine, and then I give them this high-falluting explanation of what's going on in their life, and then I cross my arms and say amen, and they're looking at me like, what did you even just say? Because you see, here's what we have to understand. We need to cast our cares on Jesus. And the world doesn't care how much we know. What the world cares is how much we care. If it's just a matter of, look at me, look how much I know, the world's not gonna be impressed by that. But they are going to be impressed if you care for them. We need to be content in all things. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul explains that whether we face a lot or little, or we have a lot or little, we can be content. In other words, in 4.13, it says, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This isn't about God doing amazing things, even though he does. What this is about is being content no matter what God does do, whether his answer is yes, no, or wait. We need to be content in all the things we do. Ivan Berlin. Ivan Berlin was a great songwriter, lyricist. He wrote several of the songs in White Christmas. You remember that? I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And it's a little bit warm to be dreaming of a white Christmas, but Irving Berlin wrote that song. There was a movie made with Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, 
and the name of it was White Christmas. For that movie, Irving Berlin wrote another song called Count Your Blessings Instead of Sheep. Now, we've all heard, if you can't go to sleep at night, count sheep. One sheep, two sheep. That makes me feel so sheepish to do that. So I, I don't do that very often, but sometimes I, that I try it because nothing else is working. Irving Berlin changed some words around to that little cliche, and here's what it says. George, uh, not George Clooney, Rosemary Clooney is being sung to by Bing Crosby to kind of set that up in your mind. It's late at night, neither one of them could sleep. And here are the words. When I'm worried and I can't sleep, I count my blessings instead of sheep. I fall asleep counting my blessings. When my bankroll is getting small, I think of when I had none at all, and I fall asleep counting my blessings. I think about a nursery and I picture curly heads, and one by one I count them as they slumber in their beds. If you worry and you can't sleep, just count your blessings instead of sheep, and you'll fall fast asleep. Count your blessings. There's a hymn. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. When's the last time you've done that? Make plans to follow God. Jesus was saying, I'm not telling you not to make plans. I'm not telling you that it's not okay to be a clipboard person where you've got all your plans made. But don't worry so much about your plans. Include me in your plans. Include God in your plans. And if we do that, then we will succeed in the midst of adversity. Now, let me give you a couple of assurances for the future quickly. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Now, what does that mean? Let me give you an illustration. Coming from the wisdom of my grandfather, Calvin Luco Crabtree was his name. And he was an interesting man. I'll, I'll leave it at that. But he had a couple of sayings that stuck with him through the year, many more than I realized until I got older. He explained it this way, past, present, and future. Yesterday is a canceled check. He said, you know what happens if you go to the bank and try to cash a canceled check? And I was too young to know. And I said, no, granddad, I don't know. He said, they look at you and say, well, this, this check's no good. It's already been cashed. Yesterday is a canceled check. He said, you know what tomorrow is? And I said, Wednesday? He said, no, no, tomorrow is a promissory note. He said, you know what happens if you carry a promissory note to the bank early? I said, no, granddad, I, I don't know. He said, the bank will look at it and go, this isn't due yet. I can't, I can't do anything with it. I can't cash it. I can't turn it in. I can't renew it. I can't do anything until it becomes due. And he said, you know what today is? And I said, Tuesday? He said, no, today is all the cash you've got on hand. So you better spend it wisely. Yesterday is a cancel check. Tomorrow is a promissory note. Today is all the cash you got. So you better make good use of it and spend it wisely. So what else do we do? We understand that not only is God the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, we also understand in Hebrews 13, verse 5, God will never leave you nor forsake you. I want to tell you a secret. I read the end of the book several times, and guess what I found out? Didn't mean to be a spoiler, but I sure do mean a spoiler alert. When you turn to the end of the book, 
God, we win. And we stand upon that promise. And also, in Revelation 22, 20, Jesus says this. Yes, I am coming soon. No matter how worried we are, no matter if we're consumed by bitterness, no matter if we feel like we're carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders, we can rest assured in that we have a victory in Jesus Christ. There may be some battles to endure. You may still have battles ahead of you. But we win the war. We can stand on the promises of God. Just be aware of this. Too many of us, way too many of us, for pastors, for friends, those around us, are sitting on the premises instead of standing on the sitting on the premises. We're waiting for them to do it. Or that person to do it. We're waiting for somebody else to invite. Somebody else to call. Somebody else to ask. Somebody else to write a note. Somebody else to do this and to do that. And so we find ourselves ending up no longer trusting God's promise, sitting on the premises instead of standing on the promises. Here's what I'll leave you with probably still have battles to go as do all of us but we can trust Jesus and we can cast our worries and our cares upon him let's pray together Lord sometimes you give me a sermon and I don't really understand what you want me to do the truth is sometimes I don't understand why Sometimes I don't understand how to do it. And to be honest, a large part of the time, I just don't understand. And that's okay. Because you want to show me the way. Many years ago, many years ago, Lord, you know this, two years, I think it was a minute ago, to me, it was an eternity ago, I was a youth minister here in this town.
blessed with God. And he turned it into something beautiful and wonderful. Be with us as we come to your table, Lord. Watch over us. Give us peace. We ask it in your name. Amen. Would you stand, please, as we prepare our eyes for the
understand what it was. person that 
whatever you need me to do to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, that is what I will do. So as we pray together, help us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are loved, that there is no need to worry, because sufficient for the day of the worries thereof. Do not worry about tomorrow. Take care of today. Serve a God who is with us yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are loved beyond measure to the extent that we cannot even imagine or embrace how much God loves us. We ask, Lord, that the world would see that in us. We ask it in your blessed, mighty, awesome name of Jesus Christ.